Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 125 of the Farben Metal Podcast. I'm your host and guide in this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Peter Jones from Haken tells me about his first band. But before that, I'm talking to the bass-playing genius known as Frederick Filiotrolt. He was once the bassist of a Canadian extreme avant-garde metal band, Unexpect and since 2018 has been the band leader Von Dogma I. Von Dogma I dropped an incredible EP back in 2018 called Communion, and now they're finally releasing the follow-up, The Cult of Glitch, on May 5th. In my chat, we're talking about the new record, as well as the name of the band and record itself, inventing a one-string bass synth thing, covering Radiohead, and a lot more. So before we dive into my chat with Frederick, here's some of the song One Eye from the album The Cult of Glitch by Von Dogma I. Alrighty, so I, I'd like to start off with a very, very, very basic question, and I've looked all over the internet, and I cannot find this. Right. Is the double V a W sound or a V sound in the name of your outfit? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I caught, I, I invented the least catchy name ever, so I, I'm to a, I need to expect this kind of question. But yeah, it's a Von Dogma I, so Von would be some kind of prefix to. Um, um, to the the word dogma, basically. So it's von dogma I, and also it's not von dogma one, which a lot of people assume too. But yeah, I got the least catchy name, so I have to expect that. But yeah, if it wasn't for that movie, The Vavitch, I would have gone von, but that had me <laughs> second guessing myself. So I am glad I asked, but von is where I thought it was going. Yeah, yeah. Did you like the movie Vavitch? I am a, a coward when it comes to horror of any kind, so I I don't go that way. But uh, I hear good things. Right. Yeah, it's it's a very uh, wasn't the best movie in the world, but very atmospheric, very oppressive. So they kind of successfully uh, made the compelling atmosphere. But uh, yeah, it was an alright movie. There's been a trend of podcasts recently where it's basically a group of people. One person loves horror, and one person is fascinated by horror and just wants to hear everything about it, but doesn't want to watch it. I'm the second person, and right. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I will go on uh, IMDb and I'll read the parental guide to see what horrible things happen in uh, whatever that one movie where like someone's head flies off and there's you know a cult or something. But I'm not gonna yeah, watch yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so so back to your your outfit. Uh, Von Dogma I is a, a is a project that has been around for a little bit now, and I love the EP when it came out. Communion, I thought it was fantastic, and I think Cult of Glitch is very cool and very fun as well. Um, so, Glitch is a term that's come up with this band a bit already. What is the Cult of Glitch, or who is the Cult of Glitch? Um, it was really well first what it means basically was a uh, it was a very literal play of word with bringing this metal you know with the word cult you have this metal aesthetic that immediately comes to mind especially written that way and glitch um 
you know, is in the electronic music world. So I kind of wanted to blend these two worlds of this very analog kind of elitist metal uh, mentality, but blend that with uh, modern electronic music, which, you know, musically is all the album's about. But who is the Cult of Glitch? I don't know. I usually don't discuss much like what it means. And, you know, it's like the typical art where everybody can, you know, put their own meaning into it. And um, there's a lot of, um, you know, even in the lyrics, there's a lot of uh, um, way of writing where you kind of let the words uh, flow and, you know, they find their meaning more than anything that you wanted to say specifically with these words. So I don't know, the cult of glitch was just kind of something visual that really represented the aesthetic musically of the album. So. Uh, you actually touched on something I was going to ask about later, but I'll ask it now. Uh, in the press release for the record, there's a note about how you put lyrics to these songs, uh, essentially just pulling words from pre-existing lyrics in a notebook. And that mentions yeah. that the music kind of, the words sometimes had to change to fit the music. Did you find any difficulty in still connecting to these lyrics personally, or are you writing in like some sort of character for this where there was never that personal connection? Um, no, it's, uh, you, you start with meaning something really specific, but sometimes, you know, like you say, the phonetic of the word, uh, just doesn't fit the music. It just doesn't, uh, work. So you can, you can let the rhythm and let the music kind of change that word to just make it sound, uh, better. And then you find another meaning into it. I think it was Chino Moreno from the Deftones who was talking about that. And it was his way of writing. Then some, sometimes the meaning of the line that he ended up using was completely different from what he initially, he initially intended to say. But it just sounded better musically. And I really wanted to... Uh, to follow this kind of way of writing. But yes, I have a notebook with like a, a billion one-liner in it. And sometimes it's more cohesive, it's a page, but it's really a, some kind of Frankenstein of writing. Um, not that it doesn't mean anything and that it's random, but sometimes it's influenced by the music itself and the rhythm and it has to flow. So. I've heard yeah. that uh, Simon from Biffy Clyro does something similar where every line is kind of its own story. And from then what band? Uh, Biffy Clyro. I'm not sure I know that. Uh, they're a Scottish band that's like huge in Europe and like they headline download and stuff like that. But they come across oh, okay. they come across the ocean and they're just like playing mid-level theaters. And anyway, right. uh, but yeah, the, he kind of does the same thing where it's like line by line. Um, yeah, well, I'm writing, I'm uh, reading this book, uh, the Rick Rubin book that just re uh, recently came out. And it's pretty much answering my way of... Uh, of writing in the lyrics meaning he's just very enabling the book kind of does what a producer does basically enabling you to do whatever you want there's no laws and he's like just look outside the window if you see a bird write bird or like what's the first thing that comes to your mind or just take a book open it on any page put your finger right there and that could be the best line for your next uh line in the lyrics so it's very freeing very enabling and I think it responds really well to the way I was conceptualizing the lyrics of this record. So yeah, I would recommend that book. I, I I'm a fan of I'm a fan of a lot of albums that happen to be Rick Rubin albums. So I'm, right. I'm curious yes. to hear about his like just the mentality because I've also heard he just sort of sits on a couch and like feels it out, and that's his his style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no musical background other than like, hey, this sounds good. Yeah, I mean sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, the, the naivete audience. of non-musician is 
of really priceless. And sometimes I'm trying to find that back because, you know, we can be uh, our techniques and our music knowledge can be our worst enemy in a way. You know, simplicity is usually your best friend in writing music. I'm in a, a prog band myself, and I one of my guitarists is always trying to write the most technical riff he can yeah, to like, yeah, right. and that kind of thing. But I have to constantly be like, no, no, but it's got to be good. It's got to like have a something to latch on to, and like you can throw in yeah. all the notes you want, but what's where's the heart? Yeah, ju just strike an open chord and listen to it. Yeah. Like just like open chord, not even like an open string, and like let it clang on the fretboard. And sometimes, like I say that, and my album's pretty complicated. I guess, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, simplicity is always your best friend. I, I wasn't gonna, you know, point out how often you're doing like two hand tapping stuff, and that's very complex, and all their time signature changes and whatnot. But you know, I I, I get where you are yeah. coming from. Well, in a way, if I can like keep going on that it's to, to me the two hand tapping is so assimilated that it's uh, like it's a modern technique but i don't mean it in, in a shredding way and it's like especially on that record it's not you know um like unexpected where everything was uh super complicated back with my previous band like super uh over harmonized and over orchestrated like it, i feel like these songs are way more songwriting oriented and the two handed tapping for instance like being a modern technique it's still um meant as a it's harmonically simple and it's very focused on the songwriting so it's just a modern technique built into some simpler songwriting basically yeah do you see it as simpler because it's mostly you writing the songs instead of what was it six people seven people in unexpect uh it was seven people in unexpect yes six at the end but we always wrote as a seven piece um yeah, I guess so, but it's not like there's not as many tempo changes and it's more like the uh, simple format of like four, four and a half minute songs and there's a bit more of verse, verse, chorus in there. Um, and the structure of the riff too is a bit more slammy, a bit more groovy. So I, I feel it's simple, but I do take my kind of advanced mechanics of playing into that. Sure. I mean, I'm a bassist myself and I oh, there you go. I don't see it as simple, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying. Uh, right. This right. was an album that seemed like it's been in the works for a while. Like in 2018, I think you were teasing it on your YouTube and there's even an instrumental version of The Void. Uh, so as yeah. a fan of your, your work and, you know, someone who's always waiting for a little more, uh, what took you so long? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the world happened, I guess. But um, yeah, we started the studio in 2018, which is crazy because that's five years ago. But I kind of shelved the project for almost two years. So th there's that um, there's that delay there. But uh, then I went in studio. Uh, I was working with uh, Blaise at Makina studio for like all the synthesizers and um, the vocoder parts and a bunch of overdubs of, of stuff. And I was also working with his schedule. Um, so but yeah but mostly it's my fault yes mostly it's my fault and uh pandemic happened and it kind of slowed process down and um yeah i don't have a proper excuse or anything i guess it was always the way uh musically that i've been or we've been doing things you know i come from that previous band like i mentioned unexpected and we always took forever between records so i guess i have this bad habit but I want to break that cycle and uh, release another one in two years, which now that I say that is probably going to be released in seven years, but whatever. Yeah, it's we're in like kind of a, a very different territory as far as album releases go, because I mean, I'm 
I'm a big like Motorhead fan and they put out an album every two years, yeah. even yeah, yeah. late into Lemmy's life. And, you know, Metallica, 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 but they put out an album like every eight years and that's normal now. So I don't, I don't really think yeah. there's any rules anymore. Yeah, there's no rule. Well, if you take a band like Metallica, I mean, they could not like possibly release an album every two years because they're back. Their catalog is so big that all of these songs would pretty much go to waste and never see the light of day live or something like that. So it makes sense in their catalog to just like space things out, basically. But, uh, you know, I'm a big Mars Volta fan myself, and they've released an album every 18 months for like the 10 years that they were active. So maybe I should follow this kind of trend a little bit more. But um, but yeah, I'm just glad it's finally out and uh, people have been stuck around that people that stuck around are ready to listen to it. And some people were still waiting for it. So it's great. That was a bit of Orge Vigilantes by Frederick's previous band, Unexpect. I'll have more with him in just a moment, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere in this episode. Peter from Haken discusses his heavy origins. Oh, God. Um, yes, I love when you, someone looks frustrated answering this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I, I have to actually pick a band that is you know because i've i've played in bands at various various points but first band that i would have actually called a band and that it had a name um would be uh it was called velvet kiss Mm. and it was uh we mostly did covers of indie songs this is when uh the drummer was ray from haken um so the drummer it, it was me and ray a bassist from our school and uh my neighbor who is called Julian Peretta, who is now um, seemingly some big pop artist based in France or something. It's very, very random. We, we went on very, very divergent paths afterwards. Um, but yeah, it was back, you know, we, we would have been about 15, uh, 16. And, um, you know, me and Ray would be dressing up in our indie outfits with our white shirts and our skinny ties. I would be straightening my hair and we'd be going out there and playing songs by The Killers and Green Day um and razor light so it was uh that was our first kind of bands that had any kind of public appearance but prior to that me and ray were playing in bands in school um playing dream theater covers in school assemblies and stuff when we were about 13 wow Uh, (laughs) that was that was unnamed Uh, (laughs) that was just us trying to hijack school assembly time um and and playing prog songs um so we just yeah that would probably be my my answer. Your school is way cooler than mine. We had the <laughs> local like we had a handful of people from our like I don't know school ensemble or whatever play Freebird once, and that's about as oh. cool as we got. And then uh, we had you know battle the bands, but that's a dream theater and assembly. It seems like so weird. 
<laughs> yeah, it was. What's um, up? I think they thought it was weird too, to be honest. After about four minutes, they were like from the wings saying, it's time to get off now. And we were like, there's another seven minutes. Little um, did they know that you were doing all of six degrees of inner turbulence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Fauna by Haken is out now via Century Media Records. You can get your copy now over at hakenmusic.com, and they're about to kick off a North American tour. You can find the dates there as well. Now, before I wrap my conversation with Frederick from Von Dogma Eye, here's some of The Void from the album The Cult of Glitch. record has a slightly different vocoder vibe than the the ep had uh how long did it take you to find the voice on the vocoder and like what did it sound like in your head when you're trying to find that um yeah we're always trying to well we're always trying to f make something that's as close as what we have in our minds but um it becomes something different in the process the the ep in 2017 was very modestly produced if i can say because it was initially just a demo but it sounded pretty good so i wanted to put it out there but uh yeah i can't blame the vocoder on it taking forever because that was a lot of research and a lot of overdubs of uh i think there's always five or six different tracks for pretty much every vocoder line um so it was a lot of crafting and then trying to have it find its place in the mix was a challenge because it's very different from just like a normal singing voice you know it, there's a huge frequency range and you know for every track that has different harmonies and different um, um the frequency signature it was hard to uh, make everything fit but um no i'm happy about how it turned out but yeah it was a challenge now when you're using the vocoder is this i'm trying to find a way to, i've been trying to craft this question in a way where it's not insulting so brace yourself oh, go ahead. 
do you like the vocoder because it it's like adds to the story of the music or the the vibe you're going for or is it because you you are not a strong singer i'm not a strong singer anytime i've tried to record vocals i put tons and tons of effects on myself as a crutch but like i think it's really cool so like can you sing but this is just your your personal preference it is my personal preference well it's a little bit of all these answers because straight up i mean you I'm I'm not a strong singer. Basically, I can say that it. it's not it's not a problem at all. But I was looking at all these artists that are not strong vocalists either, like all the way up to fucking Kanye West, who does like incredible. He, well, he did put out some incredible album, but um, you know, if people like that can release an album without having a especially um, great voice, or there's a lot of uh, you know. Um, singers that are not that great but I wanted to uh, use my own voice also want to control the product because I didn't want necessarily a singer like being able to jeopardize the future of the band because they leave after the first record or something like that so there's a little bit of my control freak who wanted to control the vocal aspect of it and since I'm not a great singer, I did go all the way into the vocoder, which is one of my fetish, I guess, because ever since I heard Imogen Heap, uh, Hide and Seek, I think mm -hmm. it was the first track that I heard really vocoder being used beautifully musically. Um, back in 2005, I've been obsessed with this kind of tone. And I think that it's not, it's, it's used in modern pop and electronic music, but it's not used much or at all in metal music everybody's pointing at signing of course but um that's that wasn't even an influence um so i kind of wanted to blend these unblendable world basically and use that and if you think about that um metal has been one of the most open-minded uh style of music in terms of vocal research you know uh from glenn benton inventing death metal vocals don't quote me on that i don't know if there was a previous one but you know with d-side inventing that style of vocal all the way up to lorna shore today who's pushing it in other dif uh, other directions there's been a bunch of uh exploration of vocals in metal music so i kind of wanted to push that into uncharted territory and kind of use the vocoder into that very melancholic and synthetic approach and blend that with the analog uh, metal outfit basically simply because i haven't heard that and i would like to make the album that i don't have in my record collection so ho hopefully it's touching some people and hopefully some people can see where, where i'm going with this yeah you saying metal is like very open as far as all that stuff is kind of interesting to me because what I like about your work and what I liked about your previous band was how much you guys and you don't do what metal, you know, always does. Because like if you see a metal band, it's usually bass, two guitars, drums, vocals. Yeah. And you're incorporating a vocoder in that. And there's like a lot of synths in your music and all that and violin in the previous one. So to hear so much new like new for metal sounds being mixed in is very refreshing to me and i i so there's not really a question here it's more of a compliment um but was were there any sounds that you tried to work into this uh album or the last ep that just like fell flat didn't work i don't know what that would be a break beat a dubstep thing that just fell flat and you are going to keep trying that on the last record or the ep uh either one um 
Well, I do have some other demos on my computer, but uh, pretty much everything that I worked on really made it to the record. You know, I don't really come from the mentality where you, you. Uh, by the way, thank you for the compliment. Um, I don't come from the mentality where you write 30 songs and then the, the 10, 12 best make it to the record. So, no, I think all of the ideas made it um, on the album. But like you said, we started recording that in 2018. So it's almost already old material and I'm really excited to expand and you know to uh, do other stuff and I'm already already writing some new stuff and uh, yeah um, the vocal thing man is it's it's gonna be a, a love it or hate it situation but I wouldn't want it any other way meaning that's kind of where I come from you know it, it was it needed to be different and I kind of got addicted to having weird looks, I guess. So I kind of, you know, carry the flag of uh, being a weirdo and, you know, doing our own thing. So it, it it does need to be different. It does need to bring something new to the table, even if it's, even if you lose half of the crowd doing it, you know, because I think historically all the bands that did something interesting did that and had that kind of um, um, vibe to it. Um, speaking of, weird experimentating experimentating that's not a word experimentation there we go uh it's a word i got it on your instagram you have uh proudly been touting a one string bass explain yourself because this thing is so fascinating to me what is going on here yeah it's right next to me right now um yeah the one string bass was uh well i i need to warn people because uh sometimes when you have drunken conversation they come true you know so you have to be careful what you say. I was hanging out with one of my uh, luthier friend, who's a good friend, who's uh, Guillaume Saint-Onge from GSO uh, Lutry. And uh, we were discussing that. And I was talking about how like it'd be cool to have a slider on the one string bass, and, but have it loop with the sustainer, um, sustainiac pickup. So basically, you don't really have to play it. You don't have to strum the string because it's vibrating by itself. So you can play it hands-free with the slider and then control that in a pedal board. Anyway, it's it's basically, I see it as a synthesizer, uh, a bass that kind of can play itself. There's only one string, it's tuned uh, to E, an octave lower than a normal bass. And there's a slider that locks into position on any notes on the sliding fretboard. And yeah, there's a sustain yak that plays the note um, that loops the note basically as a feedback. So you can set it on a note, it feeds back on that note, and then your hands free to play the real instrument, which is the pedal board, which, so the bass is kind of a trigger to some sort of synthesizer because I was looking at artists like um, Arthur and Punisher, who has all this mechanical devices around him and he's like pitching stuff and like morphing sounds and it's really great and i kind of wanted to to do that but by keeping the mechanic of the bass so i didn't even start to explore what i can do with that but um maybe it'll make it on the next record or something i don't know it was really just to try crazy stuff because i guess that's what i do with the nine string bass the one string bass the weird vocoder stuff you know it, i guess uh uncharted territories where i feel comfortable so that was the next step in a way very cool and i look forward to hearing more of that on your your channel your instagram whatever the next album is all that stuff because uh, yeah the little clip i yeah. saw i was i just thought it was brilliant um yeah. yeah i barely started to use it i mean uh you know uh 
I was focusing on the record, but there's going to be definitely more stuff with it. Uh, I want to switch back to something about the record. Uh, with such an expansive catalog, how did you land on covering uh, 2 plus 2 equals 5? And like, does it fit into some overarching story of the record, or is it just like the song you wanted to do and love? I would honestly cover any song by Radiohead because I've been such a longtime fan, and it's been one of my favorite band ever possibly my favorite band ever because of their whole catalog their you know the body of work in itself and the richness in their the harmonies and just uh yeah it's just a great fantastic band i'm not even sure why why um i chose two plus two equal five i think that record is underappreciated like hell to the thief hell to the thief and um this introduction to that record, like these first two or three songs are just fucking fantastic. And I wanted to to touch on that. And it was really a last minute decision. Like I think a week before we went into the studio, I brought that idea of doing a cover and we kind of, you know, dissected the song and I worked on it with Kevin Alexander on drums. Like he did his own part and we kind of, um fooled around to make it our own and i think it's great but there's no big master plan um for the record it was really just a cover but uh yeah i love how it uh i love how it uh how it turned out and i'm excited for people to hear it maybe i'll make a video with it i i listened to the record in full and didn't really like note what the uh song titles were and i went back and looked at my phone and saw the title and went wait and i actually had to go back and then it clocked that it was a radiohead cover so i also appreciate that you made it your own and then going back to it, i definitely hear it but so i think you know listeners fans are going to be surprised and um you know yeah that's that's another thing that's weird like incorporating uh radiohead cover into a metal album i guess like if you think of metal, you don't necessarily think of Radiohead. You know, it wouldn't make sense to make a Slayer cover or some stuff like that because I like to re I like bands that really revamp uh, the sound of a cover and really make it their own because it's kind of pointless to just play the song as it is. Um, so I, yeah, we wanted to kind of destroy it and take it from scratch. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I'm gonna start winding down because I've got just a handful more, and uh, I think my Zoom. I have the, the peasant one where it puts us on a time clock anyway. Um, right. So I, I noticed that on the, the latest album that uh, the violinist from Unexpect uh, makes an appearance on it. Is this the only person from the old band that you stay in contact with? Um, no, I speak a lot with um, Landrix, the drummer too. We had a bunch of jams and he has his own studio now. So he's a good friend and we collaborated on a bunch of stuff. And um, but mostly it's the two members uh, from the band that I'm still in contact with, Landrix and uh, Blaze. Cool. And uh, I know it's been almost a decade since that band split up, but it's like they were such it was such an important band to me in those two albums you were on, especially. Um, how do you feel about that, that time looking back now, almost a decade later, decade later? How do I feel about it? That's a that's a good question. I mean, like, I guess with every band that split up, there's some little unresolved things or that little tension but overall our friendship is above that so we don't really discuss that i mean we're smart enough and old enough and wise enough to know that our friendship is like more precious than resolving any little issues that we had back then but uh yeah it, it was the greatest experience of my life i mean all of my i i was from 
from the time I was 19 to the time I was 31, I was active in that band. So it's all of my 20s right there. And, you know, we played in 20 different countries, toured all over the place, put out a bunch of uh, record out. And uh, yeah, I mean, just it's such a condensed, um, uh, a concentrate of first experiences. You know, you go on the road with your friends and you experience everything for the first time, the first tours and all the all the stories. It's really like a concentrate of life experience. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, a great time. And now I can look at the band objectively because I'm not in it anymore. And I can truly say that this was a great band, which I, I wasn't really seeing in the same way because I had my face right up in it. But after a couple of years of the band split up and sometimes I re-listen to some tracks, I can really say that objectively from the outside that this was a great band. So I'm happy about what we left behind. And uh, yeah, it's cool. Well, I agree with the great band statement. Uh, but speaking yeah, of- I mean, it doesn't sound modest because I'm tooting my own horn kind of, but uh, you know, I look at it objectively and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool stuff. Uh, speaking of touring, any touring plans for Von Dagmai? Uh, not as of now. I mean, um, I want to start playing shows with the project. Uh, it's going to start in Quebec and Ontario, you know, around. But there's no uh, shows or tour plan as of now. But I'm looking for some Montreal date to start, uh, you know, start playing. But um, there's no nothing on the schedule right now. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me on my show. Uh, I love the new record. I'm excited for the world to hear it. And I'm excited for whatever comes next. Because like you said, it's a parts of it are a five-year-old thing, which makes me think you've got a lot more written. So as a fan, I'm very excited for that as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the nice words, man. Appreciate it. Of course. Uh, You have the good rest of your day. Yeah. Have a good one. Later, man. You can order your copy of The Cult of Glitch by Von Dogma Eye over at vondogmaeye.bandcamp.com. And you can follow the band at all the links in this episode's description. And as always, if you want to follow this show, Far Band Metal, you can head over to farbandmetalpodcast.com. There, if you're in a band, you can find the place to get in contact with me to be the recommendation on the show. You can find a store link. You can find links to my friends' projects and a lot more. And of course, the theme song is Far Band Metal by the band Shopping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.